the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Presidents Biden and Xi to meet on Monday. This approach does not work, and we can see it in China's behavior. A Texas judge strikes down President Biden's student loan forgiveness plan. The program seized Congress's power to make laws. Twitter CEO Elon Musk warns of a bleak financial future for the social media platform. Telling his employees, oh, you have the money I borrowed from the banks. We're not going to pay that back. We're going to go into bankruptcy, maybe. This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast, your first look at today's top stories for Friday, November 11th. I'm Mike Scott. On Monday, President Biden will meet with China's President Xi Jinping while attending next week's Group of 20 Summit in Bali, Indonesia, to discuss U.S. and China relations. I'm not willing to make any fundamental concessions. And so what I want to do with him when we talk is lay out what the what kind of each of our red lines are, understand what he believes to be in the critical national interest of China, what I know to be the critical interest of the United States, and determine whether or not they conflict with one another. And if they do, how to resolve it and how to work it out. This will be the first in-person meeting between the leaders since Joe Biden became president in 2021. According to White House Press Secretary Corinne Jean-Pierre, the two leaders will discuss efforts to maintain and deepen lines of communication and to responsibly manage competition and work together where interests may align. On Wednesday, Biden said he wanted to discuss with Xi the tension between the U.S. and China over Taiwan trade policy, and Beijing's relationship with Russia. Gordon Chang is the author of The Coming Collapse of China and joined Fox News to say Joe Biden's approach to America's tensions with China, in his opinion, will not work. We know what China's red lines are. They say it every day. I mean, all you have to do is look at people's daily. Um, You know, we know what the Chinese want. We've been talking to them for more than five decades. During that time, they've become more provocative, more belligerent, more aggressive. We need to stop talking to China. We need to start imposing costs for increasingly bad behavior. And if we do that, then we have a chance of some sort of accommodation. But with the approach that President Biden has taken, and his predecessors too. But this approach does not work, and we can see it in China's behavior. Chang says that the Biden administration has taught the Chinese to be aggressive because they will not impose consequences. The Chinese know what our red lines are. We, we say that as well. 
So, you know, we've gone beyond the point of talking because when we talk, we delay taking action. We delay taking action. The Chinese do even more bad things around the world, including to Americans. So uh, at some point, and I think that point is long past, uh, we need to impose those costs because otherwise, you know, they're just going to say, well, you warn us all the time, but you never do anything. And that's the problem. We have taught the Chinese to be aggressive, not just Biden, his predecessors, too. But we have taught the Chinese to engage in the worst behavior because there's no cost for doing it. Chang warns that the U.S. should get out of the New START treaty, which limits America's ability to create offensive military arms. China is building uh, missile silos at a very fast pace. Um, Their arsenal could very well be as large as ours. We're limited by the New START treaty with Russia to 1,550 warheads. Um, and China is not a treaty and not a party to that treaty. We should get out of that treaty because the Chinese are not in it, because China and Russia coordinate, which means that their arsenals combined and they very well could fight together. Their arsenals combined would be far larger than ours. Checking in with the midterm election results, many consequential races are still too close to call. And some officials warn we may not see results until next week. While some pundits do forecast Republicans will take control of the House, some believe control of the Senate is still up for grabs. Kelly Meyer of News Nation explains what we currently know about the midterm results. It could all come down to Georgia again. I'll get to that in just a second. But we could be waiting days, even weeks, before we know who's going to control that building there behind me. Let's start with the Senate. We have three races left outstanding, and we're waiting that are still too close to call. Arizona, Nevada, and Georgia, as we mentioned. Now, if Democratic candidates win in Arizona and Nevada, they will keep control here in the Senate. But say a Democratic candidate wins in Arizona, a Republican in Nevada, then it will come down to Georgia, as it did in 2021, for those runoffs to decide who can claim control. Now, in the House, it's pretty much the same story. We're waiting for results over there. As you said, 193 for Democrats, 210 for Republicans. The magic number there is 218. That's how many seats a party needs to get the majority. Meyer goes on to explain how control of Congress will impact President Biden's agenda for the rest of this term. Now, why all this matters? Why do we keep talking about the big battle for control of Congress? Well, it means what's going to get done here in Washington, what legislation gets passed or rejected, or what of Biden's nominees make it through the Senate. Now, if Democrats have control of the Senate and Republicans in the House, let's say, then Biden and Democrats are going to have to reach across the aisle for the remaining two years of his first term in office. Michael Barone is a senior political analyst for the Washington Examiner and joined the Salem Radio Network and says that the takeaway from the midterm is that Americans repudiated both Joe Biden and Donald Trump. Well, I'll tell you what I think happened. I think that what we saw was American voters repudiated the last, the two most recent American presidents, Donald Trump and uh, and Joe Biden. Uh, the Democrats lost the House majority. They've gone from uh, 235 seats when Biden was the anointed nominee down towards 211 or lower. Uh, they, uh, it looks to me like the Republicans will get a majority in the Senate, but a bare majority. Uh, and uh, I think they repudiated Donald Trump. I mean, you saw what happened to the Trump Back, the Trump-backed Senate candidates underperformed. The people he put money in for the primaries and publicity and then didn't put any money in in the general election. 
Barone explains that while Trump's appeal may be waning among voters, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis was the big winner of the night. Uh, Blake Masters uh, seems to be behind in Arizona, a state that the Republicans won every Senate race from 1992 to 2016. Uh, you have uh, Mehmet Oz lost in Pennsylvania, where his non, you know, the other candidate, Dave McCormick, would have probably won against a guy who was incapable of debating. Uh, I think Adam Laxalt will come through in Nevada, uh, but uh, it's uh, he had a previous history prior to Trump. Uh, and J.D. Vance uh, won in Ohio, a state that Trump carried by eight points. He seems to have carried it by seven, which suggests uh, something in the nature of a, a declining appeal. And he ran nine points behind Governor Mike DeWine. So, uh, yeah, uh, I think that, uh, you know, the big winner, Ron DeSantis. Barone analyzes DeSantis's landslide win in Florida. Ron De- DeSantis called Ron DeSanctimonious by Trump, won by 59 to 40. You have to go back to 1982 to get a Florida governor winning by that kind of a margin. We remember, you remember 2000, Hugh, staying up uh, for All days that, yeah. and days, waiting for Florida being the closely divided country. Um, it looks like Ron DeSantis won by a larger margin than, uh, than, than, than Gavin Newsom won in California, or than, and much larger margin than Kathy Hochul won in New York. Uh, if you add up, by the way, the top 10 states for governor primary res- or governor election results, uh, substituting the Senate race in North Carolina, which doesn't have a governor election this year. Uh, basically, the Republicans got 51 percent of the votes for governor in the 10 largest states and the Democrats, 48. Meanwhile, former President Donald Trump seemed to lob the first volley in a potential fight for the GOP 2024 presidential nomination, releasing a statement attacking Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. The statement alleged that DeSantis was an average governor and, quote, playing games, end quote. Dan Abrams of News Nation read part of that Donald Trump statement. It is officially on between Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis, or at least it's official that Donald Trump is going directly after DeSantis. No more subtle passing insults or nicknames. Trump is directly insulting one of the most popular Republicans in America. The man who just won re-election in Florida by 20 points. This time, no ambiguity. It came as an official statement where the former president went scorched earth about the media coverage of DeSantis from Rupert Murdoch-owned News Corp., the parent company of Fox News, among others. The statement released tonight says, quote, News Corp., which is Fox, The Wall Street Journal, and the no longer great New York Post, is all in for Governor Ron DeSanctimonious, an average Republican governor with great public relations who didn't have to close up his state but did, unlike other Republican governors, whose overall numbers for a Republican were just average middle of the pack, including COVID, and who has the advantage of sunshine, where people from badly run states up north would go no matter who the governor was, just like I did. On Thursday, a federal judge in Texas struck down President Biden's student loan forgiveness plan. 
A U.S. judge in Texas this evening has blocked President Joe Biden's plan to provide millions of borrowers with up to $20,000 apiece in federal student loan forgiveness, a program that was already on hold as a federal appeals court in St. Louis considers a separate lawsuit by six states challenging it. District Court Judge Mark Pittman, an appointee of former President Donald Trump based in Fort Worth, said the program seized Congress's power to make laws. U.S. District Judge Mark Pittman wrote in his ruling, quote, whether the program constitutes good public policy is not the role of this court to determine. Still, no one can plausibly deny that it is either one of the largest delegations of legislative power to the executive branch or one of the largest exercises of legislative power without congressional authority in the history of the United States. Pittman went on to say that, quote, in this country, we are not ruled by an all-powerful executive with a pen and a phone. Instead, we are ruled by a constitution that provides for three distinct and independent branches of government, end quote. Iowa Republican Senator Joni Ernst says it's unfair for taxpayers to pay the bills of people who took out the loans. It's not student loan forgiveness. It's not debt forgiveness. It's debt transference. Mm. And we have many hardworking Iowans that are picking up the tab for young people now who signed on the dotted line that they would repay these student loans. Those hardworking taxpayers are now picking up the tab for all of those other folks. Ernst says that if a bill like student debt forgiveness were to be made, it should have originated with Congress. I think it is important that Congress takes a look at this. We believe that the president didn't have the authority to forgive right. or transfer the student loan debt. So as Congress, we are the ones that hold the purse strings. And this should have originated with Congress. It did not. In late October, a federal appeals court temporarily put the program on hold following a challenge from six GOP-led states. The president's debt relief executive gambit would forgive up to $10,000 in student loans for borrowers who make under $125,000 and up to $20,000 for those who received Pell Grants. Tropical storm Nicole sent multiple homes toppling into the Atlantic Ocean and threatened a row of high-rise condos in places where Hurricane Ian washed away the beach and destroyed seawalls only weeks ago. At a news conference, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis says that Nicole was more of a rain event than a wind event for South and Central Florida. Three to five foot of storm surge in some areas have also seen uh, potential flash flooding. Impacts have been basically what's been expected. You do have downed trees, you have power lines, you have some road washouts. Combined winds and storm surge, we've seen beach erosion, especially in areas that had already seen erosion from Hurricane Ian. DeSantis says it is obvious there will be costly damage and much repair after Hurricane Nicole. We're ready and we have resources to respond to whatever post-storm needs uh, may arise. 
And I declared a state of emergency on Monday uh, for 34 counties so that they had ample time to prepare for the storm. Uh, this morning, as an abundance of caution, we've expanded that to all counties just simply because uh, we're not sure the extent of the impacts. Krista Goodrich is a property manager with Salty Dog Vacations in Wilbur-by-the-Sea and Daytona Beach Shores. Says she never imagined that any of these oceanfront homes would collapse, but prior erosion from Ian did compromise seawalls and other protective barriers. I don't think anyone's ever seen like anything like this in Daytona Beach. So we had a um, hundred feet of beach normally. If you took them a couple months ago, we would have had a hundred feet of beach plus 60 feet of backyard in this house, plus again another whole portion of the house. It's been two tumultuous weeks since Elon Musk bought Twitter for $44 billion, and on Thursday, he sent out a company email painting a bleak financial future for the company amid an exodus of executives, including officials who oversaw content moderation and some security. Musk warned employees that Twitter did not have the necessary cash to survive. The social media company was running a negative cash flow of several billion dollars, and Musk added that bankruptcy was a possibility. Dan Howley of Yahoo Finance says that the lack of content moderation has led to an influx of fake accounts impersonating brands and celebrities. Now we have word that uh, some of the uh, heads of um, uh, infrastructure security or, or IT are leaving. And then we have the problems with those check marks and the verifications. Uh, now they're saying that any new accounts that are made before, on or uh, after November 9th can't sign up for the $8 a month blue check mark because people started making phony check marks or phony accounts with those check marks for everything from uh, Nintendo to LeBron James. Uh, in fact, there was one for <laughs> Nintendo that had Super Mario giving everyone the middle finger for a while, uh, and Nintendo, <laughs> rightfully so, was angry about that. So how do you stop something like that? How do you make sure that no one's going to make an account that says Joe Biden uh, and, you know, says something in, uh, uh, in the extreme? So there's, there's a lot going on here with not just the company, but the employees uh, and, you know, Elon Musk trying to get it under control uh, with that Q&A yesterday. But I mean, it's just seemingly too much at this point. Corey Johnson, a hedge fund manager and host of the podcast, The Drill Down, joined News Nation and said that Twitter's finances right now are a dumpster fire. Within weeks, telling his employees, oh, yeah, the money I borrowed from the banks, we're not going to pay that back. We're going to go into bankruptcy, maybe. I mean, it's, it's an unbelievable story. $13 billion borrowed from banks, and he stuck the banks with the debt. The banks are trying to unload the debt. Bloomberg reporting that they're trying to unload it at 60 cents on the dollar, and they don't have any takers yet. So this really is a dumpster fire, not just a dumpster fire. We get to watch with the, the some of the horrible tweets that have been released into the world more since Elon Musk has taken over, but also with the finances of this company. Johnson says that Musk recently sold billions in Tesla stock to keep Twitter afloat. Well, he's got so much at stake to make this thing work, not the least of which is not just the bank's money, his reputation with the banks, but also uh, a lot of his own money as well, as well as some friends who have invested with him and some hedge funds who have invested with him as well. So a lot of people have a lot of money on the line here, Elon Musk included. Now, it's interesting that he's sold billions of dollars of Tesla stock in the last week after saying that he wouldn't do that or saying he didn't need that money uh, for the purposes of acquiring Twitter. But he spent over, sold, I think, over $4 billion in Tesla stock that we know about 
so far since saying that he wouldn't need to do that to finance his acquisition. A large section of the destroyed space shuttle Challenger has been found buried in sand at the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. More than three decades after the tragedy that killed a schoolteacher and six other astronauts. Daybreak Insider congressional correspondent Bernie Bennett has more on the discovery. It's one of the biggest pieces of Challenger found in the decades since the accident and the first remnant to be discovered since two fragments from the left wing washed ashore in 1996. Divers for a TV documentary first spotted the piece in March while looking for wreckage of a World War II plane. NASA verified through video a few months ago that the piece was part of the shuttle that broke apart shortly after liftoff on January 28th of 1986. All seven on board were killed, including the first school teacher bound for space, Krista McAuliffe. NASA's Kennedy Space Center announced the discovery Thursday. Bernie Bennett reporting. And finally, the District of Columbia Attorney General's Office filed a civil consumer protection lawsuit against the Washington commanders, owner Dan Snyder, the NFL, and NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell, accusing them of colluding to deceive fans and lying about an investigation into the team's workplace misconduct. Attorney General Carl Racine announced the civil complaint at a news conference saying Snyder, Goodell, the team, and the league misled the public. For years, the team and its owner have caused very real and very serious harm and then lied about it to dodge accountability and to continue to rake in profits. Racine says his office will file a civil consumer protection lawsuit against the commanders, the owner, the NFL, and the commissioner over the organization's workplace misconduct. We're filing a consumer protection lawsuit, a civil lawsuit, against Dan Snyder, the Washington commanders, the National Football League, and the NFL commissioner, Roger Goodell, for colluding to deceive residents of the District of Columbia about their investigation into a toxic workplace culture that impacted employees, especially women. Racine says while the NFL launched its own investigation into allegations of workplace misconduct by the Washington franchise, it had a private understanding with team owner Dan Snyder. This agreement enabled information about the investigation to be shared with Mr. Snyder and gave him the keys to determine what could and what could not be shared with the public. Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider podcast at Apple or Google Podcast, Spotify, or SalemPodcastNetwork.com. Get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter each morning at DaybreakInsider.com. Ongoing coverage of breaking news and commentary at srnnews.com and townhall.com. Thanks for starting your day with us. I'm Mike Scott. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.